Welcome to The Pharmacy Benefit, a podcast that highlights the role of PBMs in serving millions of patients and consumers throughout the country. I'm J.C. Scott. Today, we're going back to basics, talking about the important role the PBMs play in lowering healthcare costs. There's been a lot in the news recently, specifically when it comes to understanding PBM practices, so we're going to take the opportunity to talk about how PBMs work. Interest in looking under the hood on drug costs is nothing new. So what's prompting us to have this conversation today? Well, recently, the Federal Trade Commission voted on undertaking a study on PBM practices. Although the vote was deadlocked two to two, which means the study won't go forward right now, it seems that FTC is interested in the topic, and we're going to talk about it. Joining me in the conversation is Ross Margulis. Ross is a partner with the law firm Foley Hogue, and as an experienced healthcare attorney, Ross has special expertise in Medicare and Medicaid law, including coverage, reimbursement, and regulatory oversight. Given his extensive work with manufacturers, insurers, PBMs, and pharmacists, Ross is an expert in the role of PBMs in the healthcare system. Ross, welcome back to the Pharmacy Benefit. JC, it is great to be here for a second time. I always enjoy our conversations, and I'm particularly excited about getting back to the basics with you. Awesome. Well, let's let's do that. Let's start with a little bit of a level set on what PBMs do this so that we have some context for the conversation. Can you just talk in very simple terms about how PBMs impact healthcare for patients? With all the actors involved in getting prescription drugs to patients, what is, what is the role of PBMs? Thanks, JC. You know, it's pretty easy when we start to talk about PBMs to introduce a lot of strange terminology and a lot of funny acronyms think DIR, MAC, RTBT, and and sort of the, the message and the fundamentals of what PBMs do gets lost pretty easily. I feel like as a healthcare attorney, I'm, I'm particularly guilty of too quickly <laughs> getting down into the weeds. So what do PBMs do? It's a great question. Ultimately, PBMs exist for really just one reason, which is to reduce the cost of, of prescription drugs and they do a very good job at that. Studies have shown, for example, that PBMs generate savings of, I think, approximately $1,000 per patient per year. And they do this at a very broad level by serving as effectively the chief negotiator with two other drug supply chain actors. And those are the manufacturer of the drug and pharmacies. Maybe let's take each of those in turn to understand a little bit better about what PBMs really do. So with manufacturers, PBMs use their market share to negotiate formulary and volume discounts. And these discounts can take the form, as we've talked about before, as either upfront discounts or retrospective rebates. And in either case, these negotiations are typically quite successful. And though, and thus, as we see, for example, you know, manufacturers continuing to raise their list prices, PBMs use formularies and these other tools to try to keep drug prices holding at a relatively stable level. Uh, just one example I learned about recently, despite dramatic increases in, for example, the list price for insulin, the net cost of insulin ha- has effectively remained flat due to primarily PBM-negotiated rebates. So I mentioned one other entity, JC. The other entity is pharmacies. In pharmacies, PBMs handle two different aspects. One is the creation of pharmacy networks. And in creating pharmacy networks, PBMs look to contract with the highest quality, best-performing pharmacies in order to increase patient care. They also negotiate payment rates with pharmacies, and in negotiating these payment rates, they can 
reward pharmacies for better outcomes. So for example, operating medication therapy management programs, reducing the, the use of risky drugs or abusive drugs. And so by conditioning a portion of pharmacy payment on meeting those quality metrics, PBMs are able to have a direct hand in shaping pharmacy quality. JC, that may have been a little less basic than you than you asked for, <laughs> but that's that's sort of, you know, that's ultimately what PBMs do. They drive down costs by working with manufacturers and pharmacies. Working with and negotiating with on behalf of on behalf of the patient and on behalf of their customer who is the uh, health plan, right? So in the commercial market, the health plan sponsor or the employer, and in the government market, either a Medicare or a Medicaid plan. So PBMs do this work in both spaces. Can you talk a little bit about the, how that work extends into Medicare? Yeah. So today, PBMs manage the pharmacy benefit in the Part D space, so the Medicare space, for approximately 48 million individuals. And much of what PBMs do in the Medicare space looks a lot like what they do in the other spaces, whether we're talking about the employer, Medicaid, or commercial market. One nice thing about talking about the Medicare market is we have a lot more publicly available data about the success PBMs have had in controlling drug prices and negotiating on behalf of patients. Uh, just as an example, the, the Government Accountability Office in 2019 found that PBM negotiated rebates kept Part D spending 7% lower than it would have been without rebates. Effectively, both CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, the Office of Inspector General, the Government Accountability Office, all of these government agencies have looked year after year at the role of PBMs and continue to come back to sort of one central truth, is that PBMs are remarkably successful in keeping premiums low in the Part D space by negotiating with manufacturers and pharmacies. So PBMs are driving these savings in a way that's making health insurance and the prescription drug piece of that health insurance more affordable so more people have access at a lower cost. That's exactly right. Is there a clinical or a clinical care component to the work that the PBMs are doing? Yeah, there is. And I, I think oftentimes this gets glossed over and most people don't even realize, JC, but PBMs and health plans employ thousands of pharmacists and clinicians, maybe it's tens of thousands. And, and many of these serve on roles on, for example, a PBM's P&T committee or a pharmacy and therapeutics committee. Uh, I'm not sure we've talked about P&T committees yet, but that's a central role that a PBM plays. One common misconception I've heard, JC, is that PBMs place drugs on formularies based on cost first and clinical benefit second. And nothing could really be further from the truth. So before any drug is considered for formulary replacement, for example, it goes before one of these P&T committees, again, full of these clinicians, full of these clinical pharmacists who analyze all the relevant clinical and healthcare economic data, data from the FDA, data from clinical trials, and use this data to review the products that they've received and make clinical recommendations. It's only then, after making that clinical determination, that costs come into the picture. But PBMs do other things as well. So for example, PBMs use their clinical expertise to track, for example, and, and really reward medication adherence. PBMs have played a huge role uh, in, in this horrible opioid crisis in managing opioid dispensing oversight medication management, and then management of drugs for chronic conditions. So yeah, I mean, there is, there is a huge clinical benefit 
that TBMs play in their negotiations with manufacturers and pharmacies and in the sort of consulting services they perform on behalf of their clients, again, the the plan sponsor. You know, it also strikes me, Ross, something I didn't fully understand before I came into this industry a few years ago, that when I go to the pharmacy counter to pick up my medication, used to pick up my dad's medication, it all works pretty smoothly. But I didn't realize that the PBM was the back end of making sure all that real-time information exchange happened so that my experience ended up being pretty seamless from a consumer perspective. Yeah, one of the really uh, exciting things is that the PBM marketplace, of course, continues to evolve. And with the growth of new technology and the growth of data, PBMs have been able to harness that, not just for tools on the back end that you're referencing, but also putting tools in the hand of the consumer. One of the sort of innovations PBMs have developed over the last several years are what are known as real-time benefit tools. What's really remarkable here is that They've been so successful that now, uh, for example, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services are requiring them to be used in, for example, for for Medicare beneficiaries. You may have seen these two. I know I have, and I think they're fantastic. Essentially, when you go into the doctor and your doctor prescribes you, let's say, a new statin, rather than what would traditionally happen, which is they send you to the pharmacy with with whatever statin the, the prescriber thinks might be best, You get there and you may be in for rude awakening. It may be, for example, that the statin your clinician provided you is on a higher formulary tier and there had been a better, either both clinically and lower cost drug available to you. You have to go back to your prescriber or the pharmacy has to call your prescriber and say, can we prescribe a different drug to Ross? Instead, with these real-time benefit tools, I can have a conversation with my clinician in the office where we can take a look at the drug that's being prescribed and know at that moment of prescribing what I'm going to pay, what drugs, what other drugs are available, what my lowest cost option is. And the prescriber then is able to use both his clinical judgment as well as my sort of pocketbook restrictions to prescribe the best drug for me and my family, which is really a pretty tremendous and positive development. That is cool technology and it's important work that's being done. And I think we've we've done a nice level set here, Ross, and really pumped up the positives of the PBM industry, but people are still asking questions. So let's talk a little bit about the questions that the FTC seems to want to ask. Given given what you just described as in terms of the PBM role and lowering costs, improving the patient experience, wh- why do you think we're seeing this interest from the FTC? And I don't, this isn't the first time we've seen interest from the FTC, right? They've, they've looked at the industry a couple of times before. What, what did they find when they, they looked at it before? There's actually a you know a pretty long history, JC, of the FTC taking a look at PBMs, and you know that probably shouldn't be a surprise, just given the sheer size and fundamental role that PBMs are playing in the drug supply chain. I think too often, and I'm glad we're having this conversation, uh, folks get frustrated with high drug prices, and it's easy to point fingers at an entity that's perhaps well less understood than the others in the drug supply chain, like the manufacturer of a drug or a pharmacy. Uh, or as we'll talk about, uh, a PSAO. So interestingly, uh, maybe not interestingly, perhaps not surprisingly, in previous instances when the FTC has examined PBMs, their findings have been sort of not surprising. Namely that PBM, the PBM industry is one, competitive, and two, that PBM tools lower costs for consumers. So just as an example, in 2005, the FTC conducted a study of PBM-owned mail-order pharmacies. 
And after a very extensive study, lots of questions, lots of documents requested from the PBMs, the FTC concluded that these pharmacies, these PBM-owned pharmacies, did not result in higher costs for consumers. The FTC also has had a history over the last decade or so of chiming in on state efforts to regulate PBMs. So, for example, I can recall, I think in 2009, New York had had initiated uh, an effort to regulate PBMs, and the FTC chimed in and, and provided its comments, which which found which essentially were the overregulation of PBMs is likely to increase costs because PBM tools in general lower costs for consumers. So, you know, where are we? We have a new chairwoman at the FTC. There's a lot of politicization, sorry, that's a difficult word for me, over drug pricing. There's a lot of people pointing fingers, right? Uh, the pharmacists are pointing fingers, the manufacturers are pointing fingers. And as you mentioned at the beginning, people want to take a look under the hood. You know, and so what I say, JC, is I think they should. And I think they're asking questions. And even if maybe they're not asking all the right questions, I have a feeling I know what they're going to find, which is a competitive industry that, much like in 2005, continues to be good for consumers, but even more so has continued to innovate since 2005 and continues to bring value to patients. So this will be interesting, JC. As you know, while the while the FTC did not vote for that 6B study, there is an RFI right now, and I expect PCMA and, and others are likely to comment and response and, and provide the FTC with some of the information we're talking about here today. You mentioned the RFI. You mentioned the outline of the study that we saw, and you alluded a little bit to what's changed since the FTC's done its prior work here what would be your, your best advice to them in terms of the questions they should be asking to understand what's driving drug costs generally and to understand the work that PBMs do specifically? Yeah, I mean, so, so maybe my first question to the FTC is, you know, let's let's figure out what you're focused on. And I have a feeling what they're focused on is making sure consumers, or what they should be focused on, is, is making sure consumers have lower costs at the pharmacy counter, right? And And if there is a competitive drug supply chain, that should be the case. If you're immediately focused on, on high drug prices, it's a little interesting to start with a PBM rather than the entity that actually sets the drug prices themselves. But what I think ultimately is, you know, the, the, the FTC as part of these questions, and I think the questions, frankly, are worded in a way that suggests that some folks, at least at the FTC, have already made up their mind. But what I also know is they're not going to be able to turn their way away from their eyes away from what is ultimately fairly clear data, most of which is produced by the federal government supporting what is really a tremendous record of PBMs keeping costs low and negotiating, going head to head with manufacturers and negotiating these rebates, even as drug prices continue to rise. And so, you know, while I think there's been a lot of problematic rhetoric from the FTC at the end of the day, you know, their laws and regulations are focused on one thing which is that competition should lower price for consumers. While I'm certainly not privy to every PBM's contractual relationships, I have a hard time seeing how PBMs really lose here, JC. You know, if the FTC sticks what is ultimately best for consumers, which is high value, low cost care, then I think they're going to need to conclude at the end of this investigation what they have historically found in 2005 and again in 2009, which is the PBM industry remains competitive and that PBM tools benefit consumers in terms of lower costs. And I might challenge you just a little bit, Ross, because I think you're- I love it. You're right. 
Yeah, as an attorney, I'm sure you do. <laughs> but but I, I think you're right that the FTC traditionally has and should be focused on what is best for the consumer, and that should be the objective of their work. When I read the questions that were part of the RFI, when I reflected on the contours of the study, it looked to me like there was a much heavier focus on the interaction between PBMs and retail pharmacies and understanding sort of how the FTC might intervene in a situation that you described earlier as negotiation between PBMs and pharmacies that creates healthy, natural tension and friction for the benefit of lower costs for consumers. But it seems like the FTC wants to step in and put its finger on the scale here. Would you, how would you react to that? I hope that's not true, but I certainly understand why you say that, because if one reads the questions, for example, on the RFI, they sure look a lot like something for example, a pharmacy trade association might have written rather than a commissioner, uh, you know, of the FTC. And in fact, you know, it's public record now. You could see multiple meetings between the head of of one of the pharmacy associations and the FTC. And and certainly, we know there has been pressure. And even in the recent days, we've seen this from the pharmacist association to the FTC to try to tip the scales, as you'd put it. Uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, I think the FTC will remain constrained by what they should remain constrained by, which is their job is to uh, ensure competition and lower prices for consumers. Tipping the scales in favor of the pharmacies doesn't do that. Uh, and in fact, you know what it does is likely would, would increase prices to consumers, something that the FTC, again, has historically stayed away from and has really argued against. And so it would be a, a tremendous break from historic precedent. It would be very concerning. Again, my hope is once the FTC sees the data, much of that data, again, produced by entities like the Government Accountability Office, the Congressional Budget Office, which shows the important role that PBM tools have played, both vis-a-vis pharmacies, but also vis-a-vis manufacturers, you know, they'll ultimately conclude that PBMs remain competitive and pro-consumer. Uh, and there's not much merit to the arguments being put forth by the pharmacists. Before we wrap up, Ross, let's talk just a little bit about those arguments that are being put forward from from the pharmacy community. And I, I always like to emphasize this when we talk about these issues, but obviously for PBMs, independent pharmacies, chain pharmacies, you know, these retail entities are hugely important for our collective mission of getting prescription drugs to patients. So we recognize that partnership and want that to work well. But can you just again, in really simple, high-level terms, talk about how PBMs negotiate with and contract with pharmacies, who's representing the pharmacy in that negotiation, and what kind of is at the heart of the contract that is put together? Absolutely. So, JCS, we talked a little bit at the beginning uh, of this episode, PBM pharmacy interactions sort of come in two basic forms. There's the negotiation of pharmacy networks. So, who's in-network and who's out-of-network? You know as a consumer Uh, If you want to pay the lowest cost, you're going to go to the in-network pharmacy. And then there's the negotiation of the actual pharmacy payment rate. And both of these ultimately, though, are designed to, and and the research shows, result in lower costs for patients. Pharmacy network design is, is, I I was going to say, fairly straightforward, but obviously involves a sort of clinical and, and quality determination by a PBM and plan over identifying the highest performing pharmacies and offering consumers incentives, uh, typically in the form of lower cost sharing, to use those high-quality pharmacies. Uh, pharmacy networks consist of 
retail pharmacies, they consist of independent pharmacies, they consist of mail order pharmacies, giving consumers a wide range of choice, but also again, driving consumers towards pharmacies that based on historic precedent have provided consumers with the best level of service and the best sort of pharmacy quality that results in the best value for the patient. Pharmacy payment, so the actual payment from the PBM to the pharmacy is, is on the one hand quite simple. It consists of a payment for the dispensing of a drug, but PBMs have also sort of taken up the mantle of promoting value-based care by tying a portion, albeit a small portion of pharmacy payment to outcomes, right? So for example, trying to encourage patients to utilize more generic drugs, something that's good for everyone, the consumer, the taxpayer, the health plan, trying to ensure that patients that need to be on a chronic medication are picking up their drug on time and aren't missing important doses. You can think of lots of examples. So for example, with antiretrovirals, where consistent medication adherence is critical to the health of that individual. And I think these sort of quality metrics have, in certain cases, caused some friction, as you put it earlier, with the pharmacies, because pharmacies, certainly anytime you you were telling a pharmacy a portion of their payment is conditioned on some type of outcome, they'd prefer something other than that. But what we do know, JC, from the data is that these pharmacy quality metrics have resulted in incredibly high quality care and lower costs for patients. At the end of all that, Ross, is the consumer and the benefit to the consumer that comes from the negotiation, the contracting practices, the drive towards value and quality. That's right. And I think the consumer often gets lost in this very loud battle that's, that's often waged. But at the end of the day, I think that's what the FTC should be focused on here. And at the end of the day, I think if that's what the FTC focuses on, I I think they're going to identify what we already know, which is PBMs continue to be a real champion for patients accessing drugs at the lowest costs. I think that is a great note to leave it on, Ross. Thank you so much for making time to join us again today. It was a great conversation. Well, I, I hope you'll bring me back, JC. This is always fun. We definitely will. And thanks to all of you for listening. I encourage you to subscribe to The Pharmacy Benefit and download all of our podcast episodes. You can do that on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. I'm JC Scott. Thanks for joining me.